Thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. Well, we are now on week 13 of this course. Um, We've been at our study now for three months, that means, of parenting. So you should have it by now, right? We've been doing this for three months, uh, and this should pretty much be, uh, you know, a learned behavior at this point, something that uh, there's not much more to be added to. So uh, ideally, you've got it, and we don't need to do a whole lot more on on discussing parenting. But uh, when I initially pitched this idea, or it, I shouldn't say I, we, we as, as the leadership uh, talked a little bit about what we want to do for Sunday school the idea was pitched that it would be this um, small group study that we would uh, buy the version, the, 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 like the video recorded version that Ted Tripp gives of this book of, of parenting, biblical parenting, parenting, shepherding a child's heart, that's what it is. Uh, and then we would, you know, watch the video and then I would just simply, you know, have a guided discussion following the study guide and, and that'd be easier. That's not what this turned out to be uh, at, at all. So uh, that would probably have been a lot easier than what this has actually become of having to spend a lot of time uh, reading, thinking, preparing, and all that. Uh, I, I kind of wish we could have gone back to the just simple pl- press play on the video and I could ask you questions that are in the back of the study guide. That would have been so much easier than, than that. Uh, and most weeks it's been pretty, uh, pretty simple and it hasn't been too burdensome. Um, I, I usually prepare about a week or two in advance, at least in thinking of what I want to be talking about. So I'm usually working about two weeks in advance, thinking up through these things. And then I spend time uh, Friday night and Saturday uh, thinking a little bit more deeply about this week. And then uh, I get up early on Sunday morning and I, I furiously type out this lesson. That's usually how this works out. Well, uh, last week, you know, I, I think I told you I was down with my son at a track meet and I was down there under the bleachers uh, Friday and Saturday. Uh, reading through, thinking through, and then ultimately typing out my Sunday school lesson and got up early and kind of refined a little bit more on Sunday morning. That was like eons of advanced time. That was amazing amounts of time. I got to spend just like a whole morning time working on that. Uh, well, this week uh, it proved that uh, fine arts would be my undoing. Uh, we, uh, you know, I've been able to get through all the sports seasons without a problem. And then yesterday uh, we had... Uh, Piano recitals and concerts. I had to. I was forced to watch primary ballerinas engage in their beautiful <laughs> dancing. I, that's the whole reason I go to that show every year, by the way, just to watch the primary ballet uh, do their thing. I, and I, I told the the Sunshine Powers that be that if I had one note on it, it would be that they need to have more of that next year. Just one 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 uh, one performance of that was not enough. I think we could have like three or four different uh, ones in a day. So anyway, that that was uh, that was my undoing though last night. Uh, and who knew that a choir concert would be more of an undoing than a baseball game or a track meet? Uh, but I don't know that it would have mattered a whole lot. Uh, there, there was this week was always going to be kind of a look back to look forward kind of a week. Uh, we're done with the book Shepherding a Child's Heart. We've made it all the way through that entire book at this point. Uh, we could go back and work certain chapters, or, I suppose. And if I had to sort of rethink how we would have done this, I would have, you know, planned this out a little bit more so that we weren't uh, running up against 
five weeks yet of a course that needs to be filled with, with some material. I've, I've got some things that we're going to be working through, but this is kind of that transition week, maybe just to kind of round out the month of April so that we can start May fresh with a new topic or a new uh, portion of the topic anyway. Uh, we're going to spend most of May working through things like family worship, uh, but uh, it's important for us in this class to look back to see where we have been, to see where we might be going as well. And when I sat down to look at the, the notes this morning of the last couple of weeks, uh, I, I sort of uh, smiled thinking through that this is going to be a review lesson because we've had at least two separate Sundays in which we've engaged in review. Uh, so either the teacher thinks you need to be reminded of what we have learned, or maybe you haven't quite got it yet, or that the teacher is probably too incompetent to think up new material on the regular. I, I don't know which one that is, but it's clearly not the latter. So we'll, uh, we'll simply follow the adage of, uh, that they say in public presentations that uh, you're going to tell them what you're going to tell them, then you tell it to them, and then tell them what you've told them. Uh, and so that's the, the spirit of this, uh, this review session here today. Um, that's sort of the point as well. It's good for us to have a sense of where this class and topic is going, where it has been, and then go through that topic and then look back at where we've been in an effort to reinforce and hopefully what we've learned in the process of that as, as well. So that's what the, the goal is here today. And as I say that, I, I want you to feel free in this class. I know that I'm, I, uh, you can chalk it up to me being too much of a control freak. I, I like to think of it, and I think it actually is, just more of my training as in, in my educational experience where there's, there's a lot of like lecture, not a lot of question asking. In fact, in law school, you're doing everything you can not to raise your hand. You're going to be called on in law school. You don't want to be called on in law school. Uh, so be thankful that I have not engaged in the Socratic method with you in this course, because that would have been a nightmare for all of us. Uh, but I, I know that I typically convey a lot of information, and I don't allow for a lot of time for questions. I want you to feel free in this class, and this is your one free time in this class, to interrupt me with a question uh, I may even allow a comment or two if you want to, uh, if you want to, if you want to try to insert that, insert that in there. But feel free to please interrupt during this time if you'd like to. But let's look back about where we've been so that we can understand where we're going as well. Uh, we started at shepherding the heart and developing a Godward orientation in our children. Uh, we started to look carefully at what biblical parenting means at the outset, and chiefly, our duty as parents is to be uh, uh, parenting, seeking to parent the heart of our children. Uh, not just merely engaging in the review of the behavior. And as we, uh, as parents have a careful understanding of the heart of man, we, we have to have that in and of ourselves to learn who we are as, as people as, as well as who we are before a holy God. Uh, we also have to have that understanding when it comes to our duties as parenting, to understand the hearts of our children. Our, our children are no mere precious angels when they learn that somehow learn to misbehave over time, right? I mean, they're, they're wonderful kids. I mean, goodness gracious, we got them all over the, even, even in this room. We love these sweet little kids, and they look so innocent and so well uh, adjusted, but they come out not as people that need to learn how to misbehave, but having that already uh, uh, burned into their heart, burned into their genetics, they know how to misbehave behave because they're sinners. And our job is to learn how to parent uh, that heart, to understand what that heart is. And if it were the case that they were going to learn how to just misbehave over time, well, then any number of these uh, behavioral modification programs, these parenting books that are so popular, they would work great. They would turn out well-adjusted, uh, well-behaved children all over the universe, and we could just simply rely upon them. But we know that that's not the case. We know instead that our children are sinners who sin. And that's what we spent a lot of time looking at at the, at the, outset, at the outset. They're born into this heart with hearts, uh, heart in this heart, uh, born into this world with hearts of stone. 
Uh, and outwardly, they are alive. They're squirmy. They're ruddy. They're rambunctious. They're precious beyond words. We, we love children. But inwardly, and, and this is what we have to see as parents, they're just like you and I are, or at least that we were. They're, they're dead. They're dead in their trespasses and sins. And, and so they're like these little tiny precious zombies that are walking around. Dead in their trespasses and sins, their default is set to sin. They misbehave because they are rebels in service to their nature. It's not that their behavior causes them to sin, but that their sin causes their misbehavior. And understanding that, it, 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 uh, it changes our outset or changes our outlook on parenting entirely. From the outset, much of our effort and much of the effort here has been to tear down any reliance on self-help methods, behavior modification plans offered by experts. These plans are helpful and they may work in the short term, but we, if we're going to be parenting according to what the Bible instructs us to parent, our goal, our, our job is to have this long-term gain for parenting. It's not the short-term behavioral modification that keeps them quiet for a few minutes. It's to turn out brothers and sisters in Christ of our children in our family. Uh, you and I, as those committed to parenting according to the Bible, are committed to developing our sons and daughters to become brothers and sisters in Christ. And while their immediate behavior must and should be dealt with, uh, and they have to be dealt with in, in uh, that, that moment, we want to deal with it in context of the rest of their person before Christ. And that is where we're working to develop a Godward orientation through discipline, development of character, and discipleship. Those are sort of the three broad categories of the entire study here. Discipline, development of character, and discipleship. So all of our parenting, therefore, is reduced to understanding the heart of our children and turning them in obedience to Christ, away from what they currently worship, the, the, the uh, human-oriented uh, heart of worship, into a Godward orientation in what they, they would worship. Each act of discipline that we meet out, every goal that we set is an act to shepherd the heart of our children toward the thing that ought to be worshipped, which is at the same time turning away our children's heart from that which they naturally worship. Darling, I got a seat for you right here. I saved just... No. That's probably even easier. So that's, the, that's how we started out this course, is trying to shepherd the heart of our children and uh, giving them a Godward orientation as they, as they do so. But that also, uh, we, we learned, secondly, that we have to have a proper understanding of authority. Now remember, we looked to Ephesians 6 for this, to establish this principle. Uh, we noted that we ourselves, as parents, are under the authority of God, and our children, at the same time, are directed, to be, uh, directed by God. This isn't something that Jeremy created or any of us came up with on our own. But God himself has, de has declared that our children are under an authority themselves. That their authority, yes, they, they are under the ultimate authority of the God of the universe, the judge of all time. But they are also to be under the authority of their parents. And this is a right and good thing. That's also very distinct. We're not just simply under the authority of our teachers or our pastors. Those are also authorities in our lives, every bit as much as the police officer might be the authority in our lives as well. There are many levels of authority that are out in this world, but for our children, their ultimate responsibility as children is in obedience to their parents. That's the authority that God has placed in their lives. And, and we can see this as sort of a, 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 a brooding or maybe overwhelming kind of sense of authority in our kids, or, and I think this is right, the more right way of looking at this, we can see this authority that God has placed in, the, in, the, in our children as a, a beautiful thing to develop 
their hearts, right? This is, a, this is a good and just authority that grows them into who they are and who they ought to be in Christ. And so we, uh, we learn there's an imperative at work within that, that uh, Ephesians 6 passage that children are to obey your parents. It's not that they're supposed to be obeying someone else's parents. Yes, they have a duty to respect the adults. They've got the, the right to, or the, 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 they should be listening to the authority of those who are in control of them, whether that's a police officer or a teacher or whatever it might be. But they have a specific and very God-directed duty to uh, obedience to their parents. Children obey your parents. Children obey. That's the imperative part of it all. Who it is to their parents. And there's not a lot of wiggle room in this uh, direction by God. God has clearly directed that children are to render obedience. What we define as a willing submission of the heart to the authorities God has placed in my life. That's the level of obedience that they are to provide to their parents. But this duty of obedience is to the rightful authority that God has placed in their lives. And this comes with a really important qualifier. And this is what is important for us as parents. Uh, we possess that authority as parents only by proxy. In other words, we're doing this at the direction of God. He maintains authority over all things, and that includes our children, but he has then directed you and I as parents uh, to have uh, uh, to, uh, to, to parent our children under our authority, but under his authority, right? It's God, parent, child, and it's not any mixture of those around. It's that one that flows downward from God himself. So we, we do that by delegated authority, specifically directed by the God of the universe to care for our children and to insist upon their obedience. And therefore, that means that our children, uh, they rightly obey us and they rightly have to obey us as parents uh, because uh, they can only do, th because that's what God has directed. But he's also put this important qualifier in there, right? He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, right? So our, our duty as parents is to be parenting according to what he commands. And so we will exceed and abuse our authority if and when we parent outside the commands of that are in the Lord. Uh, there's a righteousness component to our parenting as well. Uh, it is to be done ambassadorially, right? That God is the, the, uh, the, the king of the universe and sends his little ambassadors out to do his bidding. Uh, we're not to rely upon our own human understanding in parenting, but we are to rely upon the directives that God gives to us in our parenting. We're to do our parenting conducted at all times, being done in the name of the Lord. Not just simply that the authority that that brings with it, I therefore command you to do X because of the king of the universe has told me to do X but because the, good, the Lord has set out certain guidelines, certain principles that we are to follow in parenting our, our children. And if we will follow those, uh, those guidelines, and if our children will obey them, there is a divine blessing, a divine reward that comes with that as well. Even as we are shepherded by the good shepherd, our duty as under shepherds is to do the will of the one whom ourselves we ourselves owe duty of submission. And so we will reject all concepts of authoritarianism when it comes to parenting. That's that's not biblical. That's not what God has commanded us. He's commanded us to parent in the Lord. That's the duty that our kids are supposed to render, obedience to us as parents when we are parenting uh, according to his commands. So a concept that says, obey me because I'm bigger and louder than you is one that we're going to reject. That's not good parenting. It's certainly not biblical parenting. Uh, it, that is a controlling, it's a manipulative art of parenting. And these are all signs of behavior modification that the Bible will just simply flat out reject because it fails to get at the thing that matters the most, which is 
the heart of our children, right? So if we're simply trying to control or manipulate behavior in our children, we're rejecting what God has commanded of us. We're not getting to the thing that he is the most concerned with in us as well as in our children, which is their heart. And neither is this authority to be something rightly exercised what we might call passively, right? Uh, It's supremely unloving to allow our children to be ruled by their sinful hearts and and to sort of uh, tempt them in ways that would not be biblical either, whether that would be bribing them or in some manner like that, simply allowing them to continue in their sins or continue in their sinful behavior without having that heart issue addressed. Uh, we, we, we remember when, when, when we come to this point, if we're just simply being passive in our parenting, allowing them to sort of figure it out on their own, that uh, our children do not slouch towards godly obedience. They, they won't learn the ability to obey God, let alone their parents, if we do not insist upon their following the authority that is rightly given to us as parents. So instead, we're expending the effort in parenting to help them achieve the divine promise that comes with children who obey their parents and the Lord, which is it's going to go well with them and they will inherit a long life on the earth. So we want our children to achieve that reward that awaits them. And so we we parent them. We exercise the authority God has given to us appropriately. And then to help our children achieve that divine promise, we learn the importance of having goals for our children, but not the kind of goals we might naturally think of sort of in uh, you know, this side of eternity. Uh, these things like a good education, strong and healthy bodies, these are all nice things, or maybe, maybe some of the goals of actually having nice things for our kids or having cool experiences. Those are all wonderful little byproducts of the human experience, but those are not the goals that we're actually after when it comes to parenting according to the Bible. Instead, our goal setting is that they would, our children would, develop character through realigning their worship. And this gets us a little bit back to what we talked about, that Godward orientation uh, as we address their hearts. But getting specific to it all, we looked at the fruits of the Spirit in comparison with the works of the flesh. And you'll recall that contrast, right? That there couldn't be much more stark than what we see in Galatians 5. Uh, Our children's hearts naturally tend towards those works of the flesh and left unchecked and left unchanged by the, the divine hand of God, those works of the flesh are frightening and they are awful and they will lead to horrible things. And all the other little byproduct goals that we would want to have of strong bodies and healthy minds and, and smart attitudes, all of those are not there. They're not present in the works of the flesh, I might add. We achieve a lot of those byproducts only through a changed heart, through a change in our spirit. So it takes intentional effort on our part to align the heart of our children towards the fruits of the spirit. Because again, they're not going to slouch naturally towards anything but the works of the flesh. And so we, we have to work diligently in and of ourselves to, uh, to move them, to align their hearts towards the fruits of the spirit. And so that means we don't just see arguments over a given toy between two kids as simply a dispute among two kids over a toy. This is something deeper. It's a manifestation of a heart condition that has to be carefully dealt with. Uh, We are working in many ways. And and I know it seems almost an overstatement to say it this way, but when we see that kind of selfish behavior manifesting itself in whatever behavior that might be, it is our job to be putting down these rebellions in the hearts of our children. Uh, And so that's what we're after. We're we're working to deal with the heart condition that is manifesting itself in some level of behavior. And in those moments, we we realign that which we naturally worship 
uh, ourselves, our children worship uh, their own selfish condition, we want them to then realign that with what they ought to worship, a godly life in Christ Jesus. So we're constantly rooting out the works of the flesh and trying to realign them with the works of the fruits of the Spirit itself. So then we looked at the importance of orienting our parenting by quote, teaching them diligently. You'll remember that Moses gave that command to the people of Israel that you're supposed to teach them, teach these principles, what he had given them, the law of God that he had given to the people of Israel. You're to teach them diligently to your children and to your uh, children's children. And that requires a lot of things in that, right? That's the, the, the part about walking around the home and walking along the way and sitting down on the couch and getting up in the morning and all that. Uh, we're supposed to be doing what Moses commanded the people of Israel to do. We're to teach what God had commanded them, and we're to do so with that adverb in there, to do so diligently uh, to every generation. And so we determined that much of this revolves around two primary institutions in, in life that were both created by God. Uh, one is the family, and the other one is the church. And so essentially what we're attempting to do is that we're prioritizing being together. Uh, part of the reason for this focus on being together is so that we will actually have the opportunities to be able to teach them diligently. If we are not together as a family, it's really difficult to take that command seriously. Uh, you have to have the time together so you will have the opportunity. And if you're not together, you're probably going to miss the opportunity to teach, to teach them, let alone teach them diligently, all that God has commanded we teach the next generation. Uh, and that is all-encompassing. He said, teach all that I have commanded. Do you get the sense of the enormity of that task? And if we understand how enormous it is to teach them diligently all the things that God has commanded, and we have from age zero when they cannot reason to the age of 18 or so when they're going to leave the home, that's only 18 years to cram in an eternity of instruction. And so we're going to want to orient ourselves to make sure we are prioritizing in our family the time we would spend with our family at the potential exclusion of many other things. And so we're going to put aside all those other opportunities or at least weigh the value of those opportunities in comparison to the value of what it means for us as a family. And if we're not uh, taking that time to do that, if we're not seizing those moments to teach them diligently, uh, the, the other kind of uh, thing lurking in the shadows here may just be that someone else might teach them and might teach them diligently as well. And, and that, of course, gives room for wrong teaching to make its way to our children. Uh, diligence in teaching our children means that we will prioritize what lessons will be taught to them and by whom. Being together means we take the commands of Scripture about worship and work seriously as well. Uh, we see worship <clears throat> as a family as important. That's, that's part of that family context of, of worshiping. But we also see the other institution that God created, the church, as a place where we're teaching our children where their service ought to begin, where that ought to be properly exercised within the body that we are a part of. And so doing this by prioritizing our time together uh, often and learning to serve the body of Christ, we prepare one another to meet the evil days in which we live by being filled with the Spirit. That was the next thing that we talked about in back in Ephesians 5 again, the heritage and reward of parenting. Uh, that comes from Ephesians 5 where we are commanded to make the best use of the time for because the days are evil. And this has a lot of implications for us. Yes, because the days are evil right now, uh, our job and, and the reason why we kind of turn inwardly as a family to keep each other inside the fold, inside the walls of the family, that's at least in part 
<clears throat> to protect our children from the very real evils that surround them and that are out there right now. There's a real darkness in the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, there is real danger lurking in the shadows there. And our parenting is geared to ensure that our children are protected from those evils that lurk in the shadows over there, that are lying in wait for their very souls. And so we do a lot of our effort to make sure that we protect our children from the evil days that we face right now. But there's more than is just protecting presently on the evil days in the evil days that we currently live in. We're also to be working to prepare them, our children, for the yet more evil days that are laying ahead of us. Uh, and, and, and as much as we're protecting them right now, we're giving them also the tools that will prepare them as they launch from our home into their own lives uh, to be able to meet the evil days that lie ahead of them and, by the way, to then repeat the process to their children. And so we teach our children the scriptures, but not merely for the sake of knowledge or understanding these things. Instead, we instruct our children to filter all of life through the commands of the scriptures. That way they have the guidebook that they need throughout all of life. The default instinct on their part will be and ought to be that whatever they meet in their lives, whether it's good or bad, uh, evil or horrible, they know to filter all of that through what God has commanded them. Their default instead is instead of relying upon themselves as what they come out knowing about right now, it is instead to say, what is the thing that I ought to filter this universe through? It's the commands of Scripture itself. And so, again, they don't slouch towards that naturally. We're going to have to provide this instruction to them to say, no, don't turn to the self-help guru for the understanding here. What does the Bible say about this? What does the scriptures teach about this? What are the people, the godly people that God has put in your lives, what are they saying about this? That you may be properly instructed to follow in what the Lord has taught us to be. These days are evil, and so we ought to train our children to place themselves under the authority of the Bible so that they would learn to turn there first and then how to apply that authority in all aspects of their lives. And of course, that requires, as we saw a fair amount of good communication. It takes a lot of effort for us to sit down and talk and, and use a variety of forms of communication to understand these issues. That's not merely the ability to speak well or clearly articulate the argument. Instead, we learned the, the, the definition of good biblical communication that Ted Tripp gave to us. He's, he calls it an art form. He says, it is the art of expressing in godly ways what is in our heart and of hearing completely and understanding what another thinks and feels. Uh, that's our job as parents, to be artists when it comes to communicating with our children. We want them to be expressing uh, in godly ways. We want to be able to express to them in godly ways. We want them to also express to us in godly ways what is in their heart, and of hearing completely and understanding what another thinks and feels. And so this takes, again, significant amount of time for us to be engaged in this communication. That is not just simply a, a delivery of knowledge to the other. There's a time and a place for that. But this is a communicative effort. It is a back-and-forth dialogue that comes with our children. With our children. Uh, and our job in parenting, in uh, communicating with them, is to draw out the heart of our children, helping them see the purposes of their heart and where that heart action, where that heart temptation is going to lead them if left unchecked. Uh, and so the phrase drawing out the heart of our children is an important one here. It requires effort to bring that out. Uh, here again, they're not defaulting to giving you the details of their heart. Our job as parents in exercising that art form is to draw that forward to them, to turn that backward onto them, to see, look what you're seeing here that, I, that I'm seeing that you can't see because you're inside of it all. 
And so we guide our children in confronting temptation. We help them learn what the response to that temptation might be, and importantly, why it might be that response. But then we also want them to see the motives for yielding to that temptation, which will in itself reveal why they they would choose a sinful response. They don't understand why they are choosing the sinful response. Our job is to guide them to, to the point of saying, do you see now why you chose that sinful response? That's part of drawing the heart of our children out of them. And then more than that, we help them see the righteous response in the face of temptation. We don't just leave them at the fact of here's why you chose to be a sinner or why you chose to engage in sin. Instead, we want to help them see what the right response, what the righteous response in the face of that temptation is or ought to be. Uh, and in all of this, we deploy a multiple, uh, we deploy multiple methods of communication. We use everything from encouragement to rebuke to pleading to entreaty to all these things. All of those aspects uh, that are seen throughout the scriptures are available to us as parents to communicate with our children to help them understand that their behavior, or to help them understand their behavior in light of the commands of scripture. We're, we're guiding them, we're talking to them, we're speaking to them, we're pleading with them if we have to, we're rebuking them when we need to, we're shocking them out of their system if we have to, to awaken them to the dangers of the evil that is presently surrounding them. We're, we are, in short, Helping, helping them understand their sin nature, but also the rightness of God's rules in their lives. And so we prioritize and we habituate the, the communication. Uh, we habitualize, I think is what that word was supposed to be in my notes there. And I cannot tell you how many times it autocorrects to the wrong thing and it drives me nuts in the middle of a lesson. Sorry, <clears throat> that one's free. So we're underscoring the importance of being together uh, again, because if you're going to communicate with your kids, guess what? You have to communicate with your kids. You cannot do this from a distance. It's really difficult to do that when they can't hear you. Yes, we've got all kinds of modern inventions, all these technological devices that we have that will give us more supposed closeness. But the still best and really the only way to be able to engage with them is to communicate with them, not merely to them, but to engage with them. And that requires a tremendous amount of things. Uh, you know, there, there's a big difference, by the way, even when it comes to the gender of our children and how to communicate them. Now, look, I'm saying that as a father of all boys, so I don't know that I have the, the proper experience to give you the difference uh, in communicating with, with girls, except that I am married to one. So I, I've at least learned how I have to communicate with the one very important woman in my life, the most important woman in my life. But our boys are going to communicate differently than our girls are going to communicate. Uh, I've heard it said before, and I found it to be extremely true in the lives of my sons, that men uh, develop relationships side by side and not face to face. Uh, women are much more face-to-face kind of communicators and relationship builders. Uh, if any of you, I think most of us here are either married or contemplating so, uh, you learn that relationship uh, you know, with your spouse is different than your friends. You know, as, as a man, I learned very early on that I've got to have actual face time with the woman I wanted to marry. And I had to actually develop that across the table from her. Or maybe walking through a park. But whatever that was, it's going to be face-to-face communication. The boys in my life, in my experience anyway, they very much want to, and they open up an experience when they're beside you. And they don't actually have to look at you in the face in some respects. right? Whether it's just digging a ditch or working on a project or taking a hike through the woods. 
our children will open up. The, the, the point of that is to learn how your children communicate and provide for the opportunities that they will have the chance to communicate with you so that you are engaging in this opportunity of, 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 of pointing them to the principles that we want to instill within them. So we're going to be, as good biblical parents, we're going to be engaged in a lifetime of prioritizing, habitualizing, making sure that it is a routine part of our lives, of our lives, of communicating with our children. Uh, and again, this is going to structure our lives if that's going to be the case. If we're going to make this a priority, then we're going to make certain choices about what we do with our lives. Uh, sports, I love sports. I love fine arts. I love these things. But they can't come to dominate our lives. It's very difficult for me to have a, uh, a very deep conversation with Josh at first base. You know, I'm sitting in the stands. Uh, it's, it's really difficult for us. I've said this before with my oldest. He and I do a lot of running together. I have a hard time actually unpacking the eternal principles on the trail when I am half dead from oxygen deprivation on things, right? But these are where the conversations come up. Don't miss those opportunities that are, are brought along our way. Make sure you account for them. In fact, make sure you provide for them. And this may take you actually learning a new skill or kind of getting out of your own comfort zone about things that are interesting to them so that you have the opportunity to have those those moments of communication. Uh, so understanding that communication evolves in the lifespan of our parenting life. Uh, we go from exerting our authority over our young children to providing influence over our older ones. Uh, we then learn that discipline comes alongside with this as well. And, and there's a lot of comfort that we ought to find within discipline. That was kind of, I hope, was what the takeaway was in our discussion about discipline. Uh, we don't shy away from discipline because we see it as a divine rescue mission, one that uh, the goal of which is not merely to save from the, the evil that lurks in the shadows, but that it would, in the end, yield a, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That's, that's what we're after here. Yes, we're here to protect them, saying this is the danger that comes with you, and that's why I am disciplining you, bringing you back along the safe path that you're supposed to be walking upon. But that's not for its own end and its own sake. We're doing that so that in the end, in their lives, it will yield a result, yield a peaceful fruit of righteousness in their lives. Recall we looked at Psalm 23, as I alluded to a moment ago, and the comfort that the rod and the staff brings. And we're told in that psalm precisely that, that thy rod and your staff, they comfort me. These are tools of discipline that are meant to provide comfort to our children. We looked at the fact that these are intimate tools of discipline. They're used to both defend against attacks as well as to restore a relationship. Remember the shepherd's crook and its ability to reach out in the distance and pull closer to you? That's what we're after here. It's a routine part of our life. It flows out of the duty to disciple and develop character, discipline does. But it's also, it requires this intimate contact, this intimate fellowship physically with one another. It's more than physical, but it is at least physical as well. It requires that level of physical discipline to maintain that uh, intimacy in our discipline of our children. And so we looked at an approach that we take to physical discipline. Uh, we, we learned that there are methodical and intentional ways to be about our approach to physical discipline because we cannot be flippant and reactive in the use of our physical discipline. Instead, we are, are to be intentional and careful in how we apply our physical discipline to our children. We develop a routine to the act of disciplining our children uh, in, in, in a way that would help them understand that their disobedience places 
them beyond a place of safety. And the act of discipline itself is to help them bring back uh, from that place of danger that they may find themselves in to restore them to the place where they might find the blessing that God in, in, uh, in te- in, intends for their lives. So we discipline our children because we accept the promise of God that it will yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And just as importantly, we know that failing to discipline would be an act of defiance on our part as well. We, as ones under the authority of God, be, uh, would be in open rebellion if we would reject his commands to discipline our children as he instructs. Uh, and in neglecting the act of physical discipline, we reject the promise of yielding the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And so we take it very seriously. Uh, we take it very seriously because we, uh, we know that if we don't discipline ourselves, we will be disciplined by the God who has commanded us to engage in parenting our children as well. Uh, we do not wish, wish to defy our maker, to, to defy the one who has given us that responsibility in parenting. So we embrace the idea of parenting in obedience to the God who has commanded us to care for our children and commanded our children to obey their parents. But all of parenting is not just simply discipline. It may seem like that at times, but uh, there is more to parenting than just simply exerting a physical discipline or otherwise. Rather, as our children age, uh, that discipline is going to evolve into a focus on the development of character in our children. Uh, and so our effort to guide our children through this relationship with God, himself, and others. Uh, in other words, they don't know how to do this even by themselves. We've got to help them understand what their relationship with God is, with himself, and with others. And we have, in the aid of developing that character, we have the aid of, uh, of our children's conscience. This is a great divine blessing by God. Our, our job in parenting is to fine-tune that, in, that, that uh, God-given conscience so that they learn whether that conscience is accusing their behavior, this is the thing you're not supposed to be doing, or excusing their behavior, you've done the right thing in this situation. Uh, we're helping them un- understand how that conscience operates in their lives to draw them further in relationship with Christ and away from the dangers that sin uh, proposes in their lives. We, we help our kids learn what their heart is manifesting in behavior. So when we have every bit as much found the hard issues that we're dealing with uh, as parents, we're then turning to help them see what their heart is accusing them of or excusing them of so that they can manage that heart in the future as adults. And specifically, uh, character development means helping our kids see what their behavior reveals about who they are in relationship to who God is which is perhaps the most essential part of our entire parenting journey, to understand that they are sinners before a holy God and that what that means, what that implies for their lives and helping them turn from their wicked ways and and not just be our sons and daughters anymore, but also to be our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's the whole goal of our, our job in parenting. And so finally, last week, we looked at what I called sort of ominously the end of parenting, the teenage years. And We sort of see those as scary years, and yet they can be wonderfully sweet times if we have put the time in at the beginning of following the commands by God to engage in the shepherding of the heart of our children. If, if, by the way, we've neglected that for 13 or so years, starting at this time is going to be very rough. But if we put the hard work in early... The goal at that point, ideally, and will most certainly be, if we put the work into it at the early stages, the parenting in the teenage years, we hope and pray, will be far easier than if we had done nothing at all. I think it was my dad who said that you will either parent when they're young or you will parent when they're old. But either way, you're going to parent. 
And so you may have to parent them uh, in a different way if we have not actually engaged in these principles early on. But by the way, there's, it's not too late for that. Uh, we can recommit ourselves to those principles again as a family to make sure that we are doing what God has commanded us to do. Uh, well, But during this time of our children's development, during the teenage years, it takes a turn from simply exerting our authority like we could when we could hold them in our hands or maybe direct where they're going to be at a given time. Uh, something we hopefully did at an early age of, uh, of establishing that, that authority. Uh, we're, we're turning from that exertion of authority only to the idea of influence, providing influence to our children. And we want our children to feel fear the Lord during this time. We want them to embrace the idea of fearing the Lord for that, as we learn in Proverbs 1. That's the beginning of knowledge. We want our children to have that depth of knowledge by that begins with the fear of the Lord. But even with their growing independence, uh, they are also, where we learn in Proverbs 1, they're supposed to forsake not and to hear their parents' instruction. This is something they're supposed to embrace and treasure, like like the, the, the all the gold in the world, like a crown that is on their head. Uh, these are the things that are supposed to be good for them. Even as they grow in age, they are to remember what their parents had instructed them. And so our job is to tell them the imperative requirements under the law here. Hear your father's teaching. Uh, uh, forsake not your mother's instruction. These are the things that they're supposed to embrace and not reject, especially at a time in their lives when, as they are coming of age, they want to engage in sort of these proddings of the corners of independence. They, they want to sort of reject the, the authority structures around them. No, the Proverbs say, no, you should embrace that because that's where the beginning of knowledge comes with the fear of the Lord. Even with many things that may bring them knowledge, the scriptures teach our children that above all of them is hearing and adhering to the instruction of their parents. And so we want to convey that to them, to instruct them that that is good for them to do. But beyond just simply adhering to their parents' instruction, as important as that is, beyond all of that, our job is to help our children disassociate from the wicked. There is a camaraderie somehow that is present with the presence of the wicked around them and so we ask ourselves and ask each other again, what makes the camaraderie of the wicked more attracted to our kids than our family? And so here again, we see the importance of being together, of establishing the orbit of our lives around the family and of our service in the church. It's very critical that we do that at an early stage so that when they are older, that's not too far away from what they are naturally predisposed to anyway. Our children crave fellowship of some sort, and so we guard against the fellowship that may destroy their soul with the company of the wicked. And we again and see that, that importance of creating a family life that centers around the home, the service of the church, and prioritizes time together. We want to make it attractional, something that would want them to be a part of that. That's what we've been about in our parenting. As we've gone from the idea of discipline at their early stages to developing character through the middle stages to developing little disciples in the later stages of parenting. We discipline, we develop, and we disciple in our parenting. That's where we've been. Let me, as we close, make a few concluding thoughts that I offer as just simply observations in terms of the implications of biblical parenting. There's probably a lot more to be added to this list. This is sort of in that category that uh, we hear Paul saying, that this is me, I, Paul, speaking and not the Lord, right? This is just Jeremy speaking, but I think there are some necessary implications that flow from what we've been learning the last couple of weeks. And I offer four of them for you here, and I'll, I'll just try to state, state them as succinctly as I can. Number one, parenting is not accidental. Parenting is not accidental. Let me put it positively. Parenting is inherently intentional. 
And if you're not being intentional with your parenting, you're probably not parenting. You're being a, a guardian, certainly, because if you don't, you're going to go to jail. But you're not actually engaged in the act and art of parenting. Instead, uh, we're, just as our kids don't slouch towards righteousness, neither do we just slouch towards parenting. It's not something that is sort of innate in us that will sort of like, huh, I'm a parent, I can do this now. It's something that you have to commit yourself to and, and, and discipline yourself to actually do. We have to commit ourselves to it. We have to refine our approach to it. And then ultimately we have to rely upon God for the outcome of it. Parenting is not accidental. It is purposeful. It is intentional. It is something that you have to commit yourself to doing and to doing well. All the other circumstances of life that you've gone through that may add or detract to your ability as parenting, those are almost peripheral. They're just part of who you are. You are going to have to choose through the commands of, of the scriptures how you're going to parent your children. Ultimately, you will give uh, an account to God for how you have parented the kids that he has entrusted to your care. So I encourage you to don't treat that casually, but to take it very seriously and to be intentional about your parenting. Be a parent on purpose. Secondly, uh, biblical parenting requires time. That should be obvious from all that I've said even in this recap here. Uh, it, it is not something that is just a one and done experience. It is not simply something you, you did on Monday morning and can forget about on Tuesday. It's not just something that happened when the kid came out of the birth canal. We're a parent. It requires time with your kids. And, and thank God that it requires time with them because we get to see all the delights of the things we've invested so much in at their early stages come to fruition at the later stages of parenting. And if that were not the case, I guarantee you we would have gone extinct as a human race at some point in our history. We get the blessings and the rewards of the labor that we've invested in our kids. Just like that, you know, when it's talking about uh, the parenting, um, uh, children obeying their parents and all this, it, it yields a, 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 the peaceful fruit of righteousness, the harvest, the peaceful fruit of Well, how do you get a harvest? Well, you, you get a seed and you take it and put it in some ground. You don't just put it in any ground. You put it in fertile ground and then you fertilize it. You, you cover it. You water it. You make sure that it has the proper, proper amount of nutrition and nu nutrients that are necessary to it. You protect it against weeds and animals that are going to come and steal that seed. And as it comes up as a little sapling, you make sure that it is protected from the gnawing teeth of the deer. Uh, all the things that you, you protect it uh, over the course of its lifetime until it actually grows into a strong, stable uh, body of some sort and yields its own fruit. It takes time for that harvest to develop. It also takes that intentionality that is required. And so uh, if, if I can, if I can, prior, if I can uh, just emphasize one thing more than all the others, prioritize the time. Prioritize the time that you have with your children at the exclusion of so many other good things. Every day that goes by is one less day you have with your kids. And that, that hits my heart hard. Because I love hanging out with my kids. But I also love to see them become great adults. I want to see that in my children. But prioritize while you have them the time that you have and don't waste that time with silly, stupid things that do not matter. Be silly with your kids. I, I'm not saying don't be silly. I'm the biggest buffoon in my family, trust me. Have fun, but don't waste the time with your children. Prioritize the time you have as a parent and exclude all the things that are going to detract away from that time as parents. Prioritize your time. It takes time. Uh, number three, don't grow weary in your parenting. Do not grow weary in parenting your children. 
I should probably put this a sort of different way. I mean this in the sense of get fit to parent, all right? Yeah, we're all going to get weary at times of being a parent. There are times when you just want to beat your head against a wall rather than have to say the same thing over and over and over again. It just, it's so mind-numbing. But what I mean for that, yes, don't get weary in those times. Don't just give up on parenting in those moments and throw your hands up and walk out. That's not the response either. What I want you to do is I want you to think like Paul did for us, right? He, he likens the Christian life to one who runs a race for a prize, disciplining his body to strain towards that upward call in Christ Jesus. Well, we also ought to view our parenting in much the same way. It's very much a part of that same race. It requires stamina. It requires effort. That endurance is not something that comes to you immediately. It, it is something built up over time and through self-discipline, through denying certain things in order that you would become better at the other thing, that you would grow in your stamina for it. So my, my challenge to you, my, my, my encouragement to you is to go get fit. Go do the work that is necessary to be a parent. You're going to require the stamina. Don't grow weary in being a parent. But develop the stamina that is necessary to be that parent. Do the discipline that is necessary to become the elite athlete that you are as a parent. And fourth and finally, I take this from something Jeff said a couple weeks ago that I thought was uh, very important. I didn't want it to be just be thrown away uh, or missed in the, in the midst of everything else. The fourth thing that we ought to do, and something that I've come to, to really appreciate much more through this, or be actually more convicted of much more through this study, uh, and that is to simply pray. We are not guaranteed a specific outcome for our children. We don't know what that will be. That, that is all dependent upon God. Our duty is faithfulness in terms of parenting, but what the outcome is, we have to leave with the Lord. And we trust that as we invest all the effort into harvesting or into to planting that seed, to making it grow, to hopefully yield that peaceful fruit of righteousness, ultimately that harvest and the abundance thereof is up to the God of the universe, and it's not up to us. We can't actually change the heart of our children. That is up to the God of the universe that takes hearts of stone and miraculously turns them into hearts of flesh that beat for life. But our job is no less to be faithful in what we do, and hopefully that that will turn out in those hearts of flesh that beat in righteousness for him. But much of this, we got to do all that God commands, but then at the end of the day, we have to commit ourselves to prayer. That, that God will yield that peaceful fruit of righteousness in the hearts of our children. And so I, I don't know what more we could do than just that. Uh, yeah, we do everything we possibly can. Uh, we are purposeful in our parenting. Uh, we, we prioritize the time in our parenting. Uh, we, we are exercised and we are filled with endurance for the race of parenting itself. But at the end of the day, brothers and sisters, rest in the knowledge that your prayers are heard by the God you serve. And they will yield the precise result that God intends for them to yield. So hit your knees in prayers. I, I end it with this final thought. And don't tell Mark, but I'm over time again. My grandfather, who's 101 years old right now, he, he recalls and has recalled often in his life that his great-grandmother prayed for the fifth and the sixth generations of his family. And by God's good grace, our generations are largely uh, uh, filled with people who are following Christ in obedience today. Because that great-great-great-grandmother of mine prayed on her knees to make sure that the fifth and sixth generations would be followed. Uh, my children are that sixth generation in my family. 
my grandfather stood before us on his 100th birthday a couple years ago and said, and now I am committing to praying for the sixth and the seventh generation of your families. And that's a righteous man. Those prayers are going to avail much. Do not underscore or do not undercut, discount. Those are the words. Don't discount what your prayers can do for your children. Let's go ahead and go to our meetings. Thank you.